When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Forever Dog Rose and Jamie are two best friends And they love sex and the city And they couldn't help but wonder Do you love it too? Carrie, Miranda, Samantha, Charlotte, Cosmos, Cheese, So many dudes. Every single dude All the dudes And we couldn't help but wonder Jamie Lee and Rose Cerno. I'm Jamie Lee. And I'm Rose Cerno. And this is Couldn't, Couldn't Help, Help But Wonder. Wonder. A podcast where we talk about sex in the city and how it relates to us. us. Hello, to Jamala. Us. Hi. Oh, my goodness. This, guys, you know, for you, you get us every week, but this is a bit of a reunion for. Rosalita and Jamesita. And I have to say, it's always a delight for my eyes and my ears because we do video and Jamie, she's a sight for sore eyes. Oh my God, you are too. Your skin looks incredible. Well, that's because I do this thing on Zoom called you go under preferences and it face tunes you. Is that real? It's real. It makes me look better. Are you fucking kidding? There's that's a, a Zoom thing? filter. Yeah. What? It, it's amazing. It's incredible. It Where like, do gives you, you get it? You just go up to Zoom, preferences, filter. Oh my God. Okay. Jamie, it does your makeup for you. Holy shit. You just blew my mind. Okay. Well, that just changes everything. Why have I not been using that every day? I'm on Zoom all the time. I literally look at myself and I'm like, oh my God. And then I look at It does look like you're wearing blush. Like you look very like glowy. Filters are a godsend. Oh my God. Okay. Well, it's lovely to see you. I'm happy to see you. And- Here's the thing. Jamie and I are, we're not just doing this for the cold, hard cash. We're real life friends. (laughs) (laughs) Skylar. Skylar's here too. (laughs) Yeah, none of us are just, the cash is nice, but the the real reason is so we can. (laughs) Guys, okay. Well, we won't get into that. It's Caviar City. Yeah. Caviar City. Uh. The real reason is we get to see each other's beautiful Hasidic faces. And the Mm. truth is, (laughs) <laughs> We're not Hasidic, uh, but okay. <laughs> Semitic. <laughs> Semitic, yeah, yeah. Hakuna yeah. Matata. Uh-huh. And the truth is, my dearest one has been on an interesting uh, house sort of search in New York. And I have so many questions because I haven't been into New York in years. I haven't been since the pandemic. Obviously, we'll talk about it. So why don't I ask you and you can weave your answer in. I'm so curious. Okay. Who were you this week, my love? I mean, guys, I was a straight up, I mean, no ice cubes. I'm talking neat Carrie. Ooh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. unfiltered, as Carrie as it gets. I wow. I did fly to New York City. It was um, not an easy decision to make. I definitely vacillated thinking, this is stupid. Why am I getting on a plane? I read that risk chart that was like getting on a plane is like one of the higher risk activities for um, the pandemic right now. And yeah, it was just uh, it was just not an easy decision. 
But uh, I did basically wear a hazmat suit. Um, I got on the plane. I, I don't know if you saw, but I wore an N95 mask with goggles from Home Depot um, and then a shield over all of that. So I was, and also, so I didn't have to take all of that off to sip on the plane because my whole thing was like, I don't want to breathe in the recycled air. I got a venti straw from Starbucks and shoved it up under my N95 into my mouth. Like I was so crazy. Jewish American princess gone yeah. wild. But that sounds yeah. really smart and cool. I love how like, I love how, like bougie slash sciencey slash brilliant that is. Oh my God. That is the combination that I dream to be described as. So thank you. I, yeah, it was really scary. Like Dan and I, it was crazy because he dropped me off at 4 a.m. Well, we, we got up at 4 a.m. He dropped me off at the airport at like 5 a.m. for he a 7 a.m. flight. And no, he didn't come. Well, yeah, he didn't Whatever. come. Right. Yeah. yeah, it was just, I was like, one of us going is already like- A big just, risk. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. And we were like not fighting on the way there, but definitely he was just like, I don't like this. I don't like that you're going. And then I was like, you're right. Maybe I should like change my flight. Like this feels fucking crazy. And then I am, I will say now that I'm on the other side of it, by the way, I got a test right when I got back to make sure that I didn't like accidentally infect Dan. We both tested negative. So that was really exciting. Um, but when I was there, I was really glad that I went because it was very eye-opening. I think there is a real misconception happening right now about what it's like in New York, at wow. least for LA people. I Tell think we're us. like, my mom, I mean, my mom isn't in LA, but my mom, for example, in Texas was like, oh my God, you're going to New York. Like that's the hotbed. Like that's just going into the belly of the beast. Like do not go. That's fucking crazy. And that was another part of the reason why I was like, I can't go. This is crazy. Like my whole family's against it. Um, but once I was there, I was like, New York kind of has it figured out. Like statistically they're doing better. We know this, like, you know, they're, they have way fewer cases than LA. I mean, LA is a mess right now, but like they're doing well, they're on like an uptick and you really do feel like they've sort of experienced the bulk of the trauma. And now they are, in my opinion, it felt like they were kind of rejoicing a little bit. Like it just has an energy of, it's definitely not the New York we know. A lot of stuff is closed, but there is more of a, there's more of a look at what is open vibe versus here where it's kind of like we're focusing on the negative. It's a lot of, at least for me, and I'm sure I have a feeling we have similar experiences because we have similar friends, but like it's a lot of talk about like masks and like, are you wearing a mask? Do you not wear a mask? Masks are so politicized. It's just a lot of mask talk. And there everyone does wear a mask and everyone is so respectful and um, kind of adult about how they approach COVID that it's almost a non-issue. Like, for example, I went running on the West Side Highway and there are a couple of people who like take off their masks, but like they also don't get anywhere near you. So there's not that feeling of like in our neighborhood, small sidewalks, like if someone's running, they are running at you and you have to like duck out of the way. And it doesn't feel safe because of that. Whereas in New York, I guess I thought that New York would be really crowded and like everyone would be on top of each other. But when you're there, you realize the sidewalks are huge and actually no one's on top of each other. I mean, maybe if offices were still open in Midtown, 
that would be psychotic because that's always like the crazy part of New York, I feel like, is like Times Square and Midtown. But those don't exist right now. So really, you're just talking about like the more residential parts of the city. And those are like very spread out. I felt totally safe. I also just felt very relaxed. Like if I needed to take my mask off to take a drink of water, there's not this feeling of like traitor, traitor, you know, like witch, burn her. There's not that like uh, hypersensitivity. Um, but as a result, their numbers are better because I think people are more are more celebratory and like focusing on the positive space ex- instead of the negative. So like going to restaurants, that's definitely a newer activity in New York right now. But like it's kind of everywhere. Like everyone has sort of set up al fresco dining and it just feels like kind of sweet it's like almost um it's almost something that i would hope sticks around even after things get better because there's something really nice about like everyone sitting outside like some streets are shut down and they've turned it into restaurants um like the restaurants have sort of spilled out onto the street and they just shut the street down and yeah it was just kind of cool i don't know it's it's a weird vibe but it's not It's not as traumatic as I thought it would be. I thought it would be like, oh, my God, New York is like 28 days later. And it wasn't. Jamie, you're Carrie and New York is your big. You just can't quit her. I love her. I mean, I love him. I love him. You love him. You love her. And are you a Carrie? Because when you were in New York, you were just like, just like just like bopping about. Yeah. I mean, I guess I wasn't like Carrie in that Carrie really doesn't exist in New York right now. Like no one is like shopping. Like, there's just nowhere to shop, really. Um, But, yeah, I guess I was Carrie just in terms of, well, I feel like Carrie, there's a lot of shots of her just, like, walking in the middle of the street on her block. You know what I mean? They have those, like, big wide shots where they sort of, like, the jib, like, kind of soars over her. That is probably what I did because you could definitely walk in the middle of the street and there would be no traffic. There's, like, no traffic there right now. And it's kind of like Amsterdam, like everyone's biking everywhere, which they did before. But now you really notice it because they don't take the subway as much. So age old question. And I know we should move forward, but I do just sure. need to know two questions and you can okay. take your time, be short or long. OK. Does it make you want to move to New York? And did you see any places that you're like, I want to live here uh, for the first question? Yes, definitely entertaining it if even if it's maybe just temporary, like okay. I would go for like a year yeah. until things kind of swing back the other way. Yeah. Yeah. I would consider it. And yeah, I saw some places. I mean, Rose, like tell me when now. you go from looking at houses to looking at a New York apartment and the way realtors talk about these apartments. Oh my God. I literally wanted to be like, are you blind? Like we walked into <laughs> this one place Jamie. and this guy was like, it was a shoebox. And this guy's like, I mean, fabulous kitchen, obviously. And I was like, obviously, like you have no taste. You have no standards. And I didn't say any of it's this. Like but then, fa- it's like fabulous kitchen. Obviously, it's like me and you can't even both stand no, in here. I'm in the living no, room. Rose, he actually said to me, this was a selling point. He did not say this as a joke. He goes, the great thing about this kitchen is the way it's positioned in the house. If dishes are stacked up, in the sink, you can't see them from the couch. That's what he said to me. <laughs> well, as and I was like, well, this too. has been nice. Yeah, I know, right? I'm like, what are we even talking about? Like, it is horrifying how expensive New York is. Like, I mean, LA is a shit show, but New York is crazy. This crazy. conversation got very coastal, but the thing about LA versus New York, it's 
maybe new to people, maybe not, but like for the price of a beautiful house with a front and backyard, which is extremely expensive in New York, it's a beautiful small apartment in a great neighborhood with some really nice molding. But the size That's a is, really great point. Yeah, but the size yeah. is a joke, you know? Yeah, and the crazy thing is like you'll see a unit that is the exact same unit, same layout, same amount of bedrooms, bathrooms, everything's the same, same fi- fixtures, everything, appliances, everything the same. But if one is on the 10th floor and one is on the second floor, the 10th floor is like so much more expensive because it happens to face less of a building. Right. It yeah. doesn't even have a view. It just has less of a shitty view, if you know what I mean. Like you they're can see both air. face. Yeah, you can kind of see air. It's not like and a dumpster out your window. Right. Right. So it's like exorbitantly more expensive. It's just so confusing. But then rent is also really expensive. So you do get to a place where you're like, well, at least in LA, you can get cheaper rent. So there's a real argument to be made for renting in LA. But in New York, your rent is outrageous no matter what, unless you move really far out of the city. So you're kind of like, okay, but for like a thousand dollars more, I could just own this place. So it's, it's just hard to, it's hard to know. What you're paying for in New York when you live in a tiny, shitty apartment in a beautiful neighborhood is you're paying to be in New York. It has nothing yes. to do with the space. There's nothing oh, nice. Not at, no, yeah. not at all. And they try to make that seem. It's hilarious. They try to make you think you're crazy. They're like, <laughs> I mean, the huge master bedroom. I'm like, this is the master. I thought this was like a closet. I thought this was an extra closet. I'm like, my, this is what master is sleeping in a twin bed. It's what a are t- we talking it's like a about? It's like a Hauser master. It's like a small king. Yeah. Yeah. It's like for a hobbit. It's like <laughs> literally like it should be on the side of a hill in New Zealand. What are we talking about? It's like for the mice in Cinderella. It literally is. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, wow, it, yeah, gal. it's just a little like hole cut in the wall, like put some cheese in it. Well, it's exciting to hear your travels. It's, you know, as someone who's been sitting in a room for a long time, it's exciting to hear what the other cities are like. It's exciting to hear that New York still has a great energy. I'm glad you went. I'm happy for you. Thank you. Who yeah. are you this week? I was a classic carry as well. <gasps> wow, but we rarely we rarely sync up. That's exciting. That's actually true. We almost mm-hmm. never synced. I think we've been, yeah. I mean, we've definitely been the same person before, but when we both were classically that character, that's a new twist. This is special. I can feel mm-hmm. it. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, I am writing a new original pilot, a TV pilot, and I'm so excited about it. And I've had a lot of joy working on it. And it's like been a long time since I'm like, I can't wait to sit and write. And I actually feel like a lot of delight writing. Oh, that's so nice. Yeah. So I feel, you know, uh, my relationship to myself and my art is always changing. Sometimes I'm like, ugh, I'm a fraud. Sometimes I'm like, I'm talented. Sometimes I'm like, why am I gonna do this? Right now I'm feeling very connected to my art. That's amazing. Yeah, so I feel like a carry because I'm like, feeling. I am a writer. I love doing this. This is oh. gonna be fun. Yeah. So Oh, I love hearing that. Yeah, it feels good. Is, it feels good is to this work the on one something. is this the coming of age one or a different one? It is. I finished outlining it and I sent it to a friend of mine from grad school who is a really talented comedy writer. And I really love his work and, and he loves the outline. And we had a wonderful conversation today and, good. and I, I'm, I, I wrote the, the first five pages and I, I just have a good feeling about it. That's awesome. Mm-hmm. You will, you here, will be here. reading it when it's ready to. I can't wait. Send it over. I'm, I'm happy we're here and happy to see you. Happy to see you. And for anyone who's new to the podcast, I just like to always say, you know, this is a sex in the city <laughs> podcast. We do get there eventually. 
Um, today we are covering season four, episode 16, Ring a Ding Ding. Rose, take us into it. Great title. It's a great title. So the episode kicks off with Carrie struggling through some toilet troubles. Hers just won't stop running, and she really does not want to ask Aiden to fix it. He's in the middle of moving out, but he still cares. So he does. Oh, I know. It's horrible. So he does stop in to take a look. They have a really tough conversation about a ball cock and their engagement ring. He wants her to keep it. And that's that for Carrie and Aiden. Mm. A few hours later, Carrie discovers Aiden left her a note. She settles in to read what she thinks is going to be a sad farewell, only to find quite the legal-looking document. Aiden's evicting her? He's, he's not evicting her. He's giving her 30 days to decide what she wants to do. Well, that's just tacky. Look, life gets complicated. Steve and I are drawing up papers to timeshare our kid. Great love stories are supposed to end with tragedy and tears, not papers from the law firm of Golden Vogel. This is more than fair. He's asking you to buy your apartment for the exact price he paid, or you can vacate and he'll sell it. Vacate? I'm homeless. I'll be a bag lady, a Fendi bag lady, but a bag lady. Well, maybe you should think about buying your place. No, I'm not a buyer. New York is a town of renters. Everybody rents. I don't. I don't. I don't. You got yours in the settlement. You did not have to pay for your apartment. Oh, I paid for that apartment. I'm pregnant. I can't control it. Well, honey, you better learn because that is unappetizing. I know. I am so swollen and gassy. I'm like a flotation device. No, I'll get this one, and I don't want to fight out of you. Save it for your down payment. Oh, excuse me. You bought the Chanel wallet? Oh, no. Richard gave it to me as a gift. Nice. What was the occasion? No occasion. He is in love with you. He's not in love with me. You don't know that. Yes, I do. Take a look at the card. Style for style. Best, Richard. Best. Yikes. Best is the worst. Yeah, even Golden Vogel give you sincerely. Best is like signing, not love. Well, it's the thought that counts. He bought you something he knew you'd love. Well, he's a pretty generous guy. With money. Aiden wanted me to keep the ring. You did, didn't you? Oh, honey, you're a fool. No. It was the right thing to do. You know what's so interesting? is how Miranda definitely loves Carrie and their best friends, but she doesn't automatically take Carrie's side on things. She's like, this is completely fair. Like, you know, when Carrie wants everyone to be like, what, that's so fucked up, how dare he? She doesn't just say that's right. If she doesn't believe that that's true, she she will say it. Yeah, I also, yeah, I found her her advice very calming. I liked how she was like, actually, don't freak out. This is... This is a normal thing, even though when she starts to read it, I'm like, it still sounds pretty scary. It sounds also, like you're, you're definitely going to get kicked out if you don't, like, make a quick decision. 30 days is not very long. No, I mean, it's a, it's, a, it's a really funny and also dramatic plot point to think that you're getting, like, a love note from your ex or something heartfelt and then to get... It, it's such a complicated thing because on one hand, you're like, how dare he? And then on another hand, you're like, he hasn't been treated the best through this and he did make... A huge investment. That being said, asterisk, I do think subconsciously Aiden bought the apartment because he wanted to com- her to commit to him. And I think yes. it was like a way to try and trap her, whether That's he was really aware of it or not. Yeah. So I think it's it's kind of like when one person's really not ready and the other one is, it's like they'll do little things to, tr- it's, 
it's such a good lesson for all of us, whether it's a business thing, a friendship thing, a romantic thing. It's like, don't force something because then you have an apartment that you need to sell. Like, Yeah. It do, do you think that Aiden... Yeah, I mean, it's interesting that he he's already kind of bringing up the apartment. Um, do, do you think that he is just being practical like you know here's where I'm at I you know I'm thinking of selling it unless you want to do something with it like do you think that that his letter he brought it up this soon because he also he wanted to like kind of turn the knife in her stomach a little more or do you think it's really just business like hey these are just some loose ends we have to tie up because we are we're ending this relationship it's a really good question I think um it's not just business I think Aiden's an interesting character because we say that he's so healthy, but at the same time, he did engage in a in an unhealthy relationship because he he was with somebody who cheated on him, which that doesn't make you in an unhealthy relationship. But I think the thing that was unhealthy about him is that he ignored the signs and he pushed something that 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 was pretty obviously not working. And I think that he's doing something healthy here, which is a lot of times when people break up, they do it really messily. They continue to have sex. They torture each other. They hurt each other. They call each other. They say mean things to each other. He's not doing that. He's kind of trying to be like, this is this woman is never going to love me. She's never going to commit to me. I need to like get this off my plate. Yeah, this this relationship is very over. Like, I still can't believe this whole thing started up again because of Carrie. Because I know we've said this before, but the second she gets into this relationship, she's like so like, like everything is just like complaining and like taking him for granted and like just being frustrated about her space and like all this stuff. And yeah, it's just so interesting. Like we, it's so easy to forget that like, no, you started this, Carrie. Like you wanted him back. Yeah, I think as as the season progresses, obviously like one of the very fun, the basis of this podcast is analyzing these characters as if they're real people. And it almost takes up until this relationship with Aiden, to your point, to realize it's fun when you're watching a show for a character to constantly be in a relationship and dating. It gives you something to gossip and talk about. But in real life, somebody who literally can never be single and goes from one entanglement to the next and if is single for one second, we'll just reach back to the last thing. It just really makes you realize it's not so much that Carrie loves Aiden. It's that she's like an absolute love addict codependent and like cannot emotionally tolerate being single. It's not really about Aiden. I love Aiden. I feel connected with Aiden. It's like, uh oh, I'm alone. Yeah. Yeah. What did That's, you think? Of, yeah. What did you think about that part in the conversation where she's like, New York is a city where where we rent and everyone's like, I don't, I don't, I don't. What did you think about that? Um, I thought it was really, it was really refreshing to hear Carrie say that because I've thought about that a lot recently, obviously, um, where I was like, you know, I'm starting to feel all this pressure to buy, like just social pressure. I'm not really giving into it because I still rent, obviously, but I do hear it a lot. And um, it was just kind of refreshing for her friends. Oh, just from, well, just like people I know who are kind of like, yeah, I bought like within the past five years, I would say that that's been happening more and more. And um, so I really appreciated Carrie saying that because I also do know a lot of people who still rent in LA and New York. Um, So yeah, I I thought it, I thought it was interesting though, how all of her friends kind of like shamed her. Um, There was a feeling of like Carrie's, 
like just a brief moment of like Carrie's not as grown up as the rest totally, of them or totally, something. Um, yeah, which I think is a really hard thing to hear, um, even though they didn't say that and Carrie was the one who brought it up. Um, I think that's a really hard thing to hear because I think when you go through a breakup in your once you're like out of your 20s, everything just seems to feel more loaded and not that it should, but just because of social pressure. And I mean, granted, Charlotte's also going through something. And I mean, none of them are really like in stable things, you know, by like whatever typical like, I don't know. Uh, what what is, what is the word I'm looking for? Like by traditional standards, I guess. Right, right. You know, like Miranda's having a baby out of wedlock and all these things. Um, like Christian values, I guess is what I'm saying. Right, like old school, um, yeah. Yeah, old school Christian values. Um, but you know, in that moment, I do think that's one of the harder parts of going through a breakup. Like out once you're out of your 20s, is just that feeling of like. Oh, when you're in tw- when you're in your twenties, like you're, it's fine to fuck up. You can fuck up over and over and over again. Being and it's single funny. is fine in your twenties, and it's part. Yeah, it's fun. It's funny. It's also part of the story. You know, like even like people in their twenties who are doing comedy, it's always like, oh yeah, like you know, how to take the morning after pill. Like everything's just kind of like throwaway. Right. But in your thirties, it almost feels slightly lonelier just because everyone around you feels more sorry for you or yeah, something. Everyone's coupled up. Everyone's got their shit together. It feels. Yeah. And it's like, but also so much of that is self-imposed, but that's sort of like the narrative that I think people, or I'll say women, I think feed themselves. It's just like, I don't want to be pitied. You know what I mean? Yeah. It was um, interesting because. Yeah, go ahead. No, I mean, it, what I got out of that, like, oh, we, we own our houses. We own our houses is, is just what you're saying. It's really a lonely feeling to feel like the odd woman out in any reason. If it's, you're the only one who doesn't have a house. You're the only one yep. who's single, whatever it is. Yes, if everyone yes. in your crew is doing something and, and you're not, especially if the thing that makes you different, isn't that you're more successful. It's that you're less that's a really lonely feeling. And it's an interesting character because Carrie's our protagonist and she's fabulous. And I think the reason why the show is so successful and we love it so much is she doesn't have her shit together. Yeah, she no, wears nice makes clothes, it, but yes. she's broke. She doesn't have a lot of No, she's a Fendi bag money. lady, like she said. Yeah, yeah I thought that was it, such a great line. A Fendi bag lady is yeah, such a fucking great funny line. writing. And it was also interesting, great too, writing. because there's it's a comedy and it moves fast. And, and the, the conversation we just overheard it's not a heavy conversation, but there's bitterness there. She's like, well, y- you you have a house because you got it in the divorce. You didn't buy that house. Like, that's a crazy thing mm-hmm. to tell your friend. Like, you didn't earn that house. It was like, whoa, yeah. whoa, whoa. Like, yeah, I know. She clearly, well, it was clearly like, you know, they clearly put salt in Carrie's wounds when, um, when they said we all, we all own, um, it clearly is like a a sore spot for her, but what's so interesting and sort of my takeaway from this scene. And also just from being in New York, what I love about New Yorkers is like, you really do write your own damn rules. Like you're on a different timeline there. That's cool. You know, it's like, everyone's kind of figuring themselves out. Everyone's always evolving. It doesn't matter what your age is. That's cool. You know, you can be more traditional if you want, you can be more of a Charlotte or you could be, more of a Samantha where you're like focused on work and sleeping with people. Or you can be a Miranda where you're like, yeah, I want a baby, but like, I'm not going to marry the guy. Well, I mean, you know, not right now. Right. Um, so it's just kind of, it's kind of refreshing. Um, because I think it's that York- way more than LA more choosing yes, an adventure. I do. Interesting. I do. Yeah. I think it's still great here. I don't think they're that dissimilar, but I do feel like in New York, it's very just like, 
Yeah, it's just a little like you have time. There's just like a, a feeling of like you'll you'll figure it out when you figure it out. Okay, so after lunch, Charlotte heads to a jeweler for some ring dealing. She wants to do something new with her wedding band now that she and Trey are over. And the saleswoman has a bunch of ideas. She did the same thing after she got divorced. But Charlotte quickly gets cold feet and takes off. The saleswoman yells at her to stay away from the, quote, gypsies next door and drops the gay slur that starts with an F. So it's an all-around good exchange that's aged super well. (laughs) And Carrie heads to the bank to work out buying her apartment back from Aiden. Unfortunately, there's zero chance they can give her a loan, so she's kind of screwed. She wanders to the nearest bus stop to start saving some money by giving up cabs, but she's shocked to find fares have gone up. The whole embarrassing ordeal gets even worse when the bus shows up as she's already on it in the ad for her column. Back at home, Charlotte plots her next move. She calls a gallery to check on an opening so she can get back to work. Then she wanders around her empty apartment wearing her ring and reminiscing. Samantha catches up with Richard, who got her yet another schmancy present. Unfortunately, he didn't pair it with a schmancy enough card. He is still half-assing his feelings for her, and she's just about had it. Meanwhile, Carrie meets up with Miranda for some shoe shopping. Miranda has to do some pregnancy upgrades now that her feet are swelling, and the whole time she can't stop farting. (laughs) So great. Of course they would give this to Miranda. I know. (laughs) Carrie's just along for the ride. With her financial situation, she can't buy anything new. She even does a little math to figure out where all her money has gone, and she figures she must have spent around $40,000 on shoes. Later, Carrie tours a tiny, terrible apartment she cannot afford and finally throws in the towel. She heads to Big for help, then heads to dinner for some help with her help. Big offered me the money for my down payment, but I could never take it. Could I? No, you couldn't. He just gave you $30,000? Well, as a loan, I would pay him back. Take the money. When a man gives you money, you give him control. It's just money. Man, woman, who cares? It's fluid. Someone needs it, you give it. You need it, you take it. I'm uncomfortable with this conversation. We shouldn't be talking about money. Why not? We talk about everything else. People are funny about money. Like Richard. He's happy to buy me gifts, but... Still no love? No. But he continues to send his best. Don't cash Big's check. I'll loan you the money. You're about to have a baby. I can't take your money. And furthermore, do you have that much? I have about half that. What, does no one else shoe shop? I could loan you the rest. Look, that is really, really sweet of you two to offer. <laughs> it's really, really sweet, but I'm gonna, I'm gonna do this on my own. Hysterical. <laughs> so I can't tape it back. I have news. Ooh, it looks like I've gotten a job as a docent at the Museum of Modern Art. Hmm. Well, what does that pay? I can docent. Oh, it's a volunteer job, but they're very coveted positions. Oh. That's really an amazing scene. Yeah, a lot Such happening. A good, great directing. I don't know if that was in the script or if that was the director or if that was Kristen Davis being funny, but like, I mean, in the audio, just hearing her slurp on oh that God. straw is hilarious. I'm realizing that I think that drink sounds like any kind of like sip 
like a loud sip or a loud slurp always makes me laugh. When you can tell that in post they dialed up the audio for that sound effect, it, it just always makes me laugh. I, I, yeah, I, always whole, think, I laugh every time. Anyways, what were you saying? This whole episode is so like fully heavy too because they ADR all of Miranda's farts as well. Like it's just like- <laughs> You're right, you're right. It's just I going to sound town. Emmy. It's just 100%. yeah, it's just a soundboard. You're so right. It's so funny. And they're so fake sounding. I mean, her they farts are, are the least grounded thing about this show by far. <laughs> oh my god, that's hilarious. Can you make the farts a little more grounded? Please? I mean, a they're more like emotional. They are like cartoon farts. <laughs> it's it's almost one of those things where they like didn't give uh Cynthia Nixon any instruction to like you're going to fart now and they just like drop them in. It's so jarring. Sky, it's true. She doesn't like flinch. Yeah. You just hear like the worst sounds coming out it's of her. So, it's a That's wild hilarious. choice, but it's very funny. It is so funny. What did yeah. you what did you think about when I was listening to it, I, I was thinking about what I would do if Big would, offered me the money. I was what gonna say, you, would you take it? You know, as I've gotten older, I I actually think that I would because as I've gotten older, especially with like the pandemic, and I really think that like if you have the money and it's someone you're really close with, then you do give it to them. Like I've done it to other people. I've asked other people when I've been tight. I've especially people I know that are good for it, and I'm always good for it. So yeah, I I actually think definitely. I I think when it comes to money, if you're in a pinch or if you need something and you're close with someone who it's truly no skin off their back, and they know that you'll pay it back. Yeah. I, I don't think it's a big deal. What do you think? I don't think it's a big deal. I, I think it's weird that big wants her to even pay it back. <laughs> like I thought he was That's richer than that. Like I mean, $30,000 totally $30, is small. No, it is a lot of money, but like, I don't know. Also though, if he didn't ask her to pay it back, it is definitely a lot of money. I don't want to say it's not a large amount. I just assume he's like close to being a billionaire and it's like $5 for him. Right. Um, so, but then I realized that if he said, keep it, you don't have to pay me back. There's also like weird strings and implications there as well, where you're like, oh, I don't owe it to you. But like now you can sort of like lord it over me subliminally even. I don't know. It's complicated. You know, it's, it's interesting. I also feel like it's almost healthier that she takes it now they're, that they're broken up because mm -hmm. it's like, what he, what are they going to? There's no strings. It's it's actually weirdly, it, it feels like taking it from a friend, honestly. It is. It, it, I agree. It sort of like solidifies how platonic they are right now. Yeah. What do you think, Skylar? Do you think it's weird that, yeah, what's um, your take on him offering it to her and her ripping it up and her friends being like, absolutely don't do it? Well, my, I, I see what you all are saying. And I, I <laughs> think that definitely with the justification that Big is very wealthy um, and that she also has these other friends who could financially help her, like she basically has options. I, this entire episode sort of bumped me because it opens with Carrie having this massive financial problem that should be kind of the sort of thing that's like a big, big arc. But we res it's one of those, um, sort of very, very sitcom-y plots where we resolve something that's that's a Huge. big problem in just 30 You're minutes. You're right. That's such and a it, great point. Yeah, and it just sort of bumped me. So I, I, it was kind of fun to see her get it resolved ultimately. But like, this is, again, just a big uh, character point for her and, and it's waved away in just this episode. And I haven't seen what comes next necessarily, but- uh, You're I, right. I, I'm, You're right. Yeah. yeah, they don't really, it's like, 
it's like in the 90s, this was an edgy show. But if this was made now, they would go into her like having like a shopping addiction. Completely. Being completely bankrupt. And right. Like, They'd be like, shopping addiction is not funny. Right. 100%. People are suffering from well, shoes. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> there's there's my strange addiction. Like, she'd be on all sorts of things. I mean, it's true. Being broke is actually quite embarrassing. And like it having is. to borrow money is actually in real life really hard on your self esteem. And it's not really played real at all because if all of your friends are doing okay and you're actually scrimping and needing to, to, to take money from people, that's not a good feeling. Right. And also, her friends are not just doing okay. They are like so financially secure. They're killing In it, yeah. New York City, which is that's a true. very tough city to feel like you have money in. Because that's even true. if you make a decent living in New York, it's all going to like rent or mortgage or even just like buying food there. Everything is just so inflated. So completely. Yeah. I mean, the fact that, yeah, I, it is interesting too, because she's not flailing in her twenties. She's in her thirties and having financial troubles, which honestly, I think, um, which are self-created because of her spending. Yes. Yes. A hundred percent. And I think that at least I'm only speaking for myself. Like I had, I was so broke in my twenties, like truly like I'm shocked that I wasn't just without an apartment at some point. Like it was so touch and go. And I definitely was like calling family members and being like, can you loan me this? I'll pay you back. Can you loan me like 500 bucks? Like my aunt, my aunt doesn't have kids and she really helped me out. Like there would be months where I was like, I can't make my rent. And she was like, it's fine. I have you. Like, I know, I know you're good for it. But then I'm like, I cannot, like, it was so traumatic and traumatizing to go through that to have that lack of stability and then also be pursuing comedy, which is all instability. I cannot, I almost have like PTSD. Like if I experienced any of that right now, I, I it would make me so depressed. Like, yeah, it affects yeah. everything. It's like so that kind of turbulence this and being in New York. Yeah. yeah. Being in this, New York broke that specifically is like my actual hell. Yeah, I can really relate to Carrie in a way. Not that I've ever been in that position. I've definitely borrowed money from a friend. I can I can remember borrowing money from a friend who like loaned me like a thousand dollars or something for me to pay rent, but I paid her back like in three days. I just was waiting on a check or something. Yeah. But I think something I've learned in the pandemic is like I made for myself good money last year. And I didn't have that much in savings and I live Mm -hmm. in a tiny place. But like, if you looked at my earnings, it was good. And I was like, what is, what am I spending? I don't have, I have a tiny place. I didn't save, but I made good money for a single person with no kids. Where is my money going? Mm -hmm. So I think I, I was raised um, with like a single mom and we were apps, we were bankrupt. So we were always owing everyone in the family money and, you know, living in shitty places. And my mom's a, a, an amazing person. She's not a good, she doesn't have a good grip on money even now. Yeah, yeah, we've talked about this. My mom's, my parents are, both my parents are that way. Like now I think they kind of got a hold on it, but there was a period there where I was like, guys, things cost things. Like you can't just throw it out the fucking window. Well, I just feel like my mom, I don't really, I don't want to talk too much about her finances. So I'll I'll stop. But my money modeling wasn't very um, 
like savings oriented or sure. it was it was more like if you have it spend it on something really fun like a beautiful dress or something delicious or a really nice restaurant and so i sort of grew up living in like crappy apartments but then like sometimes having really great meals and really beautiful clothes and i still sort of live that way and so i am trying to shift from buying expensive things to trying to save and having like a nicer place sure i mean totally. i i very much relate to that i feel the same way i I think that I was not, it's not that I wasn't thinking about how I was spending my money, but I definitely wasn't worried about where I was allotting it. I was like, as long as you can afford it and you're not like going out of your means, that's fine. But now I actually think about for me, like the big jump that was made during the pandemic was I realized how much money I spent on food. And I was like, there are nights where I'm like, I don't really need to Postmates. Like before pandemic, I would yeah, have been like, I'll just Postmates. Yeah. What's the big deal? I don't feel like cooking. Now I'm like, well, Jamie, maybe like find the energy to cook. Like now I'm just trying to be like less lazy because when you're lazy, I feel like is when it's things expensive. get expensive. Yeah. yeah. And it's also interesting too, because it's like, I think another thing, I have a little bit of PTSD about money just because of the way I grew up. And so like, I, I, I think that this year has been a good wake up call to me because like, Everyone, I mean, I don't want to get too political, but like our country doesn't take care of us. We're not taken care of. I mean, even me, uh, yeah, like when I needed unemployment, I couldn't get it just because the website didn't work and I couldn't get through yeah. anyone. And I'm okay. I have savings, but I'm like, this country doesn't function. If you need no, it, it's, imagine it's if not, you didn't have savings, it's, it's like, not there for you. And so absolutely. this whole experience of this year makes me think, you know, to, to the point of Carrie not having a dollar to her name is like, Considering the fact that now we live in a world where the entire world economy can stop on a dime and every single industry can be affected and jobs can literally evaporate. Now I'm at the point where, and I hope I'm not stressing out like listeners, but like, I feel like the takeaway is if you're employed and if you're making money, especially if you're making anything good, fucking save it all. Because save now it. I feel like you need to have two years of savings now, because if the economy can just stop Absolutely. That's crazy, but we need to be prepared. No, I think it was, it's definitely a wake up call. It, it all makes it very difficult to plan as well. Like that's been something oh, yeah. that I've, I've really been like wrestling with lately where it's just like, do you make any big moves or do you just like, kind of wait and see and what, what is going to be normal tomorrow? Like if you want to like, um, just like when, like what you're saying with, with planning with money and trying to save money, it when you're trying to like break out of something or, or do something new um, in this particular moment, it's very difficult to know. square any of that. Cause it's like, what, what is going to be normal? Out of there's a lot of like, new. there's a lot of like, wait and see, like, don't make any moves right now. Just wait exactly. and see. Everyone's like, but wait, just wait, just keep waiting. And you're like, well, wh what do we think is, wh when is this like big pivot coming where things mm -hmm. just, the pendulum suddenly swings back. Like, how do we even know that it's going to like, and if it does, it's not going to look exactly the same as it did before. So I just, it's like this weird timeline we're all on. Okay. I'm going to say one more scary thing and then we'll move on. Okay. But like the United States GDP, the gross domestic product shrunk 30 something percent, 35%. I mean, our economy like literally shrunk. I know. I know like it's, it's fucking insane. I know that's another one of the things too, where it's like when you, are considering how to, um, I don't know, make, make some variety of move or change in your life. You're Not like, well, now. this is such a, this moment is so profoundly different than anything we've ever experienced that like you don't have the same sort of like handles you can, 
you can pull on to like say that this is normal. This is not normal. <laughs> no, I don't think this is a time to make a big. And listen, I'm very supportive of people's dreams, but this is a time where it doesn't matter if you like your job, doesn't matter if you feel connected to it. You need to just earn money right now. That's I mean, that's 100%. what I tell myself like this. is. Well, that's very interesting. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Finish your thought. I mean, I just feel like right now anyone with a job is like actually incredibly, incredibly lucky. People are desperate. And oh, yeah. And even in our industry, it's like you think TV or film is infallible. It's completely fallible. And and I think there are a lot less writing jobs. Yes, there are still writing jobs. People are still employed, but not at the magnitude of a normal time, I don't think. No, and I mean, even no. with my writing job, they're like, we don't know when we're going to start production. We haven't technically been picked up to series. Like, there's all these, like, question marks. That's yeah. why but, I'm just like, get the money. Get the uh, money, yeah, everybody. I think it, it is interesting, though, because you bring up a really interesting point, which is like, you know, everyone is like, don't, you can't have scarcity mentality. Don't have scarcity. It's all abundance. It's all abundance. And it's like, there. Yes, it's nice to think in terms of abundance because it feels good and it makes your body feel less tense. But right now, it actually tangibly is scarce. I agree. Like 100%. the physical world real. is scarce. Yes. So you're not being a bad. You're not being like a bad positive thinker to acknowledge that physically things out of your control yes. are scarce. Resources yes. are scarce. Yes. yes. So it's just it's tough because you're supposed to maintain a positive attitude, but then you're like, right. But if There's I'm just looking at the facts, like, yeah, you should feel grateful to have a job at this point. This and, is, it, and this is not the time to be like, I'm going to quit my nine to five to be a singer. No, not now. Do it in two not years. Right now. Yeah. yeah or just a year not right or whatever. Now. But it's good that you realize that about yourself, but you still have to wait. <laughs> and not, and it's not to say like, don't go for things and don't pursue passions. But I think Right now, for me personally, what I'm telling myself or what I'm telling anybody that I love, unless you're incredibly wealthy, just make money, put it away. And because uh, yep. you never know when things are going to disappear these days. Save for a rainy day. Yep. All, all of this is to say it's wild that Carrie has been so irresponsible. Yes. Oh, my God. <laughs> so fun to bring it back. So um, fun. Okay. Um, okay. So, take us in. Yes, I will. Um, after dinner, the reality of having to move out and Aiden really being gone sets in for Carrie. So naturally, she heads to Charlotte's to yell at her for not offering to buy her apartment. <laughs> Charlotte yells back and says that she wants Carrie to be independent. But Carrie spots Charlotte's wedding ring and attacks her for not being independent herself. Charlotte also reveals that she can't find anyone to hire her. So no one really comes out on top. Back at Richard's, Samantha wanders around naked when she gets a rude surprise, Richard's assistant. Turns out the assistant has been behind the gifts and the generic cards. Richard farms the whole operation out, so maybe he's into Sam after all? She decides to find out by having the assistant add the word love to his next <laughs> note. And That's that does funny. it. Richard tells Samantha he loves her. So she doesn't say it back. She has sex with him instead. That's such a funny, devious move. <laughs> I know. Totally. And Miranda catches up with Steve to iron out the details of their custody arrangement for the impending baby. It's not the sexiest meetup, but it's got to be done. It gets sexy, however, when Miranda announces that she's insanely horny and just wants to sleep with someone. So, Steve it is. And Charlotte and Carrie, they end up patching things up over lunch. I'm sorry about the other day. And I'm sorry if I hurt your feelings. You were right. Haven't wanted to let go of being Mrs. Trey McDougal. Well, I think that you are coping amazingly well. I'm just scared. 
I know. Me too. Wow. We're alone again. Yeah. I want you to take the ring for your down payment. Oh, no. No, I can't. I can't. You love this ring. No. I love what the ring represented. No, Charlotte, I think you're right. It would make things too complicated. It's... Carrie, this is a straightforward business proposal. Clean and simple. Why do I have all this money if I can't help out a friend? But it would be a loan I would pay you back. I know. I want you to think really carefully about this. I have. Will you be comfortable knowing that it will take me time to pay you back? Yes, I will. Oh, I really appreciate this. And I'll pay you back, you know that, right? I do. It's okay. I trust you. Will you take the ring? Charlotte had taken her painful past and turned it into my hopeful future. And that made the ring priceless. I have a question. Why why is it that she's taking from Charlotte and not the others? I think it's everyone it altogether. I don't think that that's $30,000. I think it's the, the three of their money. The ring isn't $30,000, is it? That's what I, I thought. How are much you, are I rings? Think it's, I feel like it was on the table that all of them were going to chip in. Or sorry, I thought it was on the table that... Samantha and Miranda were going to chip in together. But then I feel like that fell off the table and then this sort of replaced it. No, am I wrong? Yeah, no, you're right. Well, I guess it doesn't really get addressed. The, the Sam and Miranda of it all doesn't get addressed. Like she never goes back to them. But I suppose it's possible I assumed that they it was paid a, a third. really expensive yeah. ring. Well, something sure. that I don't really totally understand is that Charlotte and Trey don't have children Mm-hmm. And Charlotte quit her job. So what is all the money that she's talking about? Is she getting a ton of alimony just from being married to her to him? Maybe the prenup. Yeah, Wait, did they sign up? Probably did, did she sign did. a prenup? Yeah, she did. Yeah, so I think there's yeah. there's a clause a, where you get a certain amount if you get divorced. And so that's all this big money? That's is what the, I'm assuming. The it could be. Yeah, yeah, her her finances are also a little mysterious. I don't get it. Episode. I also thought that she was pretty judgmental about. I mean, not even just keeping the ring, but like you need to be independent to do this. Like I'm not offering because you need to do this on your own. Her entire like life is being funded by her ex. Like I just that is like- a great, Completely. great observation. Holy shit. You're so right. It probably so is just like a level unless it's. Yeah. I wonder if it's a level of self-hatred, which they didn't address, but it's a really fun subtext to explore. You're like, oh, did they mean to do that? Because if they did, that's kind of cool. I could also see her being her being Charlotte being uh, particularly anxious about her finances yes. because Trey is now gone and she has yes. quit her job. That's a good point. So that'll make you slurp well, a straw. Yeah, exactly. Just be very well <laughs> not into giving up apparently this thirty thousand dollar engagement ring to buy her friend's apartment back. <laughs> The next time I'm at dinner, lunch, breakfast with someone and they're talking about something that makes me uncomfortable, I'm just going to like slurp. Go be yeah. As loud as possible. <laughs> yeah. It's the most passive aggressive thing I've ever seen. Oh my God. It's my favorite. Um, yeah. I agree with you, Jamie, that like 
and I've seen this in my own life and it's like a classic thing you hear in any kind of therapeutic circles, but like if something that somebody does really bothers you, like if there's, if there's somebody that has a quality that you literally cannot stand, it's 100% because it is something that you don't like about yourself. Absolutely. And so, yeah, maybe she was like, you need to be independent. And that's like her looking in the mirror being like, you need to be independent. Like, yep. I think that is, I'm, I'm hoping that's what they intended. Cause if not, we just cracked something that they should have cracked, but that's, that's gotta be it. Yeah. Cause what she has no, she's Charlotte has no real reason to judge so harshly. Have you ever had a, a close friend or family member ask you for money or something that you were like, had to really think about? Yes. A family member asked me for money and I gave it to them. And was it a loan? Yes. And they never paid me back and I never asked. Does it bother you? No, I'm okay. Is it someone you're close with? Yeah. Okay. So so I was just kind of like, okay. I mean, and it was also an amount of money where it's like, yeah, it'd be nice to get that back, but I'm okay. And so I just kind of let it go. Is it something that they, do you think they're embarrassed about it or do you think it bothers them? Maybe. Yeah, maybe there, there might be some embarrassment. I mean, they're pretty, they're very responsible person. So it was odd that I didn't get it back, but that's also the reason I didn't ask for it. Cause I was just kind of like, yeah, I don't know what happened, but like you keep it. But you know what? I do think that personally, if, if you can't pay it back, I don't know. I don't mean to judge the person, but I, no judgment, but I think it would be nice to have someone say, Hey, that oh, was a life-saving amount. I yep. really needed that. You, I'm, I'm so sorry. If I get in a position where I can pay you back, you will. I will. Just some kind of acknowledgement. Well, when my aunt, not the same person, by the way, but when my aunt was paying my rent, there were probably like four months, five months maybe where she paid my rent, $500 um, or like whatever, supplemented my rent. And I always was like, I'm going to pay you back. And I never did. And it's a little different I, though, because you're the child. In I was that such a, yeah, that's how I, I, think I saw it. I was like, Jamie. I'm such a like, yeah, I'm just such a like, like little, like frivolous mouse of a child. So I just kind of, but I mean, it wasn't a child. It was like, but 25. Jamie, I think that's different because your aunt is almost like your second mother. And like, she is. if your mom helps you out with rent, you don't pay them back. It's like, that's a, I mean, maybe that's a Jewish cultural thing, but it's like, I don't, yeah, maybe that's what it is. I mean, I, I still think about it. I'm like, I should just send her a check. One time, but oh, she was happy worst, to do it. I bet you, you know? Yeah. Happy worst, to help. The worst, um, I, I sort of accidentally borrowed money from someone once where I basically, I was visiting, um, you took their wallet. Yeah. You, I just yeah. accidentally <laughs> reached into their back pocket when they were sleeping. Um, no, but she, so I went, oh, whatever. I went to Minnesota to do stand up, and I accidentally left my phone and my friend who lives in Minnesota sent it back to me, like overnighted it. And it was like 60 bucks to overnight it. And I never paid it. And it wasn't because I didn't have the money. I just deal, literally could not remember. I just d- kept forgetting. And then years went by and I brought this up to our friend, Allison Leiby. And I was like, you know what? I never paid her that $60. That was back in like 2012. I'm like, I never fucking did it. And then I, in the middle of the street, I was walking down the street with Allison in New York. This was like, I don't know, a year ago. I was like, you know what? I'm going to send her that money. And I Venmoed her the money. And then she never responded. Okay. Oh, no. I totally understand how you're annoyed because somebody that I used to be my, one of, one of my best friends in high school who I haven't kept up with, who I, I don't know very well, lost her job in COVID because she was in the service industry. And she literally set up a GoFundMe and we haven't hung out in years. We're not friends anymore, 
But I was employed at the time and I was like, I can give her a hundred bucks. So I gave her a hundred bucks for GoFundMe. I never got an email. I never got a text. I never got a thank you. It's not why I sent it. I'm, nope, I, you know, but, but it is. A, it's, but I'm it's like, a, can you fucking imagine? A, it is crazy. I, am I think so, it's insane. Honestly, I see. That's the kind of shit I think bad about a manners. lot. I am so I think I have really bad manners sometimes. Like I'm really bad about like remembering to text back or like remembering to email back. Like that's a part of my life where, and I do it, but it always is days later because I don't have a good system. Days later is fine, Jamie. I I don't know. I really need to get better about it. And it definitely is like genetic. My mom is the same way. My dad is the same way. Like you learned. I, I think yeah. I truly think we all are just like bad at communicating. But or to something. never hear, to never hear back. It's just one of those but things. But to not where... say thank you is like, oh Especially my God. Especially when you're I asking time... people to give you money for nothing that you're never going to get back. Okay. Here's one that's not money, but it's time. Okay. This girl that I know um, was planning a trip abroad to Japan and we sent her our entire itinerary, oh which was so detailed. It was wow. compiled by like four other itineraries, like wow. literally like broken down neighborhood by neighborhood. Here are the cafes you hit, depending on when you're there, you know, go here for lunch, go here for dinner. Here are the stores, walk this way and you'll find this cool little thing. Like so intricate, right? Never got a thank you. Sent that, never, it's not bad, even a response. It's self-centered, it's bad manners. I mean, to me, that is worse than borrowing money. I'm like, that's gross. You, you, to, to reach out to someone for a specific thing, they send you the thing, it's really good. And then to not say thank you. It's like, yeah, that's it, to this day, I'm like, it's, it blo- I'll see her and I'm like, oh, it's so weird. That's <laughs> bad like, manners. You just never said thank you. For years later, you're like, so how's Japan? <laughs> oh my God, I know. Ugh, anyway. Okay, well. well. Well, I have one more thing to say. Yeah, say it. Um, I do think that money is dicey and asking friends for money and family, I do think it's it's not like a no-brainer. But I do think that if your best friends are basically your family and if they're financially stable and you're in a horrible position, I do think Charlotte should have... Um, should have offered. I also think as somebody who has, I'm thinking of a friend of mine who I love very much. I've loaned her money before and she paid me back. And then she's loaned me money before and I paid her back. And I almost feel like it made our relationship stronger because it's, Mm. it felt like something that you do with family. Cause like money's intense, you know, money's intense. Yeah. And I feel like the fact that we did that made us both feel like, wow, if we really need each other, we can do it. And we will fulfill our obligations. And then the second thing I want to say before we move on is per uh, Sky's point about like this being played more as a sitcom than as a real, like how would this actually play out? The times in my life when, when, where I've ever needed to borrow money from friends or family, it's really taken a toll on my self-esteem because you, you want to feel like a competent adult who has their shit together and it's a horrible feeling for me, I think anybody to feel like you're not hacking it in some way and, and you get over it and you get your financial situation together and you're working and then you bounce back. But I don't think they really lean into what a toll this would take on Carrie's self-confidence and self-esteem. Exactly. If you're 36, 37, and you're like, not sure how you're going to pay rent, that's, and no shade to anybody on the pod who's dealing with that. It's just, it does affect the way you think about yourself. And oh, feel. of course. Yeah. I mean, I think, yes, again, going back to what I went through in my twenties, I think it's almost, 
it's more like, it's almost like um, if you were to date someone who you dated a long time ago, or sorry, to date a type of person you dated a long time ago that you're like, I will never date that kind of person with those qualities. And then to do it like 10 years later right. and have it happen. It's, it's almost like it just opens the wounds a little bit. And that's how I feel about going back to th- that state of being broke is that it's, yes, it's, it's stressful and all the things and, you know, it's very scary and everything feels just like really up in the air and unstable, but also it's like this weird, like you're almost like in touch with like childhood wounds of like, Oh God, like that period was so hard and I've worked so hard to get away from it. So it's like twofold. It's like emotional and like tactile, scary, like money depleting from your bank account, like number going down. A hundred percent. So, um, okay. I said my piece. I, I mean, it's, there's a lot to talk about. Yeah. So the episode closes also just before we go, it was very Mm. kind and loving of someone like Charlotte, who's so sentimental. Marriage means so much. It's a huge character moment for Charlotte to let go of that ring and give it to, and give it to Carrie. And it's almost like Charlotte admitting like, this friend, this female friend is more important than my paper doll fantasy, you know? Right. I also I also wanted to say, I, and I, I almost forgot to bring this point up, but that clip in particular, there's a way in which what Charlotte's doing is sort of like a friend proposal, too. Oh, it's like, that's you're, beautiful. you're in my family. You take this thing. This is this is a lifeline for you. And I, you, we're always going to be in each other's life. This is what family does for each other. Skylar, that's such an amazing analysis. Yeah, it's like it's like the season ends not with like a romantic proposal, but like a friend proposal. Like, yeah, it's. I know, I loved that. I, I almost sweet. wanted them to be. I I liked that they weren't as blatant, but I still liked that it had a little feeling of a proposal. They have a couple of moments like that for Charlotte this season too, because there's the whole arc with um, Miranda getting pregnant and her not, and. and Remember how she responds to that? She says, mm. we're, we're having, having a baby. baby. It's, it's, uh, it's, it's so sweet. It is yeah, so sweet. It's really nice for her. I, I love mean, it. nice I, character development for her. She's in a tough spot, but it, yeah. Yeah, I love that analysis, uh, Skylar. You're right, because this, this, is, this is not the last episode of the season, but we're getting there. Yeah, we're close. And it, you're right. It's like this show is a rom-com and the romance is between the girls. Like, you know? Totally. The episode closes with Carrie getting her whole apartment back and signing her mortgage papers. That's it. The place is officially hers. Which brings us to the question of the episode. So here I was, a 35-year-old single woman with no financial security, but many life experiences behind me. Did that mean nothing? After all, heartbreak and breakups are the hardest kind of work. So shouldn't there be some sort of credit for enduring them? And if not... How do you retain a sense of value when you have nothing concrete to show for it? Because at the end of yet another failed relationship, when all you have are war wounds and self-doubt, you have to wonder, what's it all worth? Mm. God. That might be one of the best um, question of the episodes. And it's act- so beautifully written. It's almost poetry. It's gorgeous. I, yeah. I think the actual question she gets to, what's it all worth? To me, I'm going to be a politician and a- answer a different question because I think that was not the most interesting part. The interesting part to me, which is a place I've been, I think it's a place everybody's been, is where do you get your self-esteem 
when you're broke and you're single and when you don't have anything to show. It's like, where do you find the self-worth when externally there's nothing to show? I mean, I've definitely been there and that's a beautiful question. It's a really spiritual question because everybody gets yeah, the time. Yeah, it's very Buddhist. Yeah, it's just also just like there's there's times where you're at the bottom and like how do you like yourself and how do you get yourself out of that when when like on paper you don't your life doesn't look good. You don't look Especially good. Especially for someone like Carrie who is, you know, admittedly materialistic you know, spent $40,000 on shoes. That's not everybody. Even people with a lot of money don't necessarily care about shoes. Like she cares about looking the part, you know, being like the New York it girl, you know, and that, that is, a, there's a lot of money that goes into maintaining that. And yeah, I mean, I think for her, well, also just, we've talked about how it's very expensive to be a woman. I think when you're broke as a woman, it's like, fuck. I also just think <laughs> it's, so shitty. Yeah. I mean, I, yes, because maintaining is, is, is a whole thing. Oh but, my, it, it, no, my, yeah, it's so much. But I even think that people who aren't materialistic, it's like, you know, I think this is like a very COVID relatable question for her because there's a lot of people who lost their jobs and don't have yep. money right now. And I don't even know if it matters if you're materialistic or not. I think everybody comes to a point where their self-esteem is, is in the, Everyone at some point has lost a job, has been fired, has been laid off, has been in between jobs, ha you know, and it's right. so hard. And in, and in America, too, I think there's a lot of focus on like your self-worth is so tied up in like, well, what do you do? What do you provide? A hundred percent. I completely agree. In other countries, it's a little more about like, just like your connection to the community and you being a great family. Friend. Yes. yes, exactly. Yeah. So I think this question is just really important and I've definitely been there before. And, um, I think my answer to Carrie, if she, if the question is like, how do you love yourself and feel valuable when you have nothing to show for it? I think it's really leaning into your friendships and relationships. And, you know, she doesn't have money right now and she doesn't have, have a, um, a man, but like she has these incredible friendships that, that are so valuable that she's put a lot of time and effort into. And she will, if anybody listening lost their job and is going through a breakup, like you will work again, you will love again. Yes. This is a, this is a low point, but you, this is actually the point where you have to love yourself the most yep. so that you can it's get back up there, you know? Yeah. Because everything is conditional and like the richest person in the world can fall from grace. Anything can happen at any moment. So the external things, we can't hold on to them as as our whole self-esteem because nothing is stable. Like as we could see from this year, like. Yeah, nothing's stable. Um, you don't you don't know if it's going to get better or worse. So, yeah, you ha it really does force you to just sort of like confront who you are and you know, get comfortable. Like even when things are uncomfortable, you're forced to get a little comfortable. Yeah. And it's like insane. Yeah. It's like, there's really embarrassing, vulnerable things that happen. Losing a job is embarrassing. Not being able, able to pay, pay your bills is embarrassing. You know, if I can say, you know, at a certain age where another relationship doesn't work, I feel like that can be embarrassing, but you have to just lick your wounds and know that there's a lot of wonderful things about yourself and you have great qualities and that you're a good friend, good sister, good daughter, whatever. Yeah. Sometimes it's like so basic. I feel like that's been a really good lesson of the quarantine is like the things that you actually really need are very simple. And I think we, I think as a society, we just overcomplicate everything. 
And then when you kind of have all that stripped away, you're like, oh yeah, like there are just some like very basic fundamental things that you actually need. And the rest of it is like, be grateful you have it. Yes, that's exactly right. And and I just thought of something else. I don't know if it's Toni Morrison, but there's a famous quote that's like, nobody remembers what you said or what you did. Yeah. Everyone remembers how you made them feel. And I was thinking there's somebody in my life who I'm close to who is lost all their jobs in COVID and mm. is living off of unemployment like so many people and is dealing with a lot of feelings of, um, I think, insecurity and shame. Yeah. And uh, she's a person that is such an amazing person and so loving and has made me feel so loved. And I just told them, I was like, it's so funny. It's like this small, this thing that I, I know it's really messing with you, but like, you are such an important person. And like the things that everyone loves about, like, you're so good to people. It's like your legacy, you're so talented and you, Ugh, you, so nice. you will work again, but like what you've given everyone is so much bigger it's than bigger. that. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. That's amazing. You're such a good friend. You are too. No, that's just like really, that's special. Like if you, if I were in that position, you just told me all that, I'd be like, things are going to be okay. Yeah, because it's really special. It's true. And it kind of like, just like you said, like the quarantine, it's like things have been so hard. And it's like, just, I mean, I can say for me, like my relationships with my sister and my mom have, they've always been incredibly close, but in the quarantine even more so. And like, just laughing with my sister and having a great time with my sister. It's like, God, (sighs) it just means so much to me and my friends. And it's just like, yeah, it just makes, makes me feel like everything if I have that and those people, everything will be fine, you know? Mm, yeah, I do. <laughs> okay. okay. Well, now our final segment I'm horny for. Sex in the City is obviously a very horny show. So we end each episode by sharing what we're currently horny for. Rose, what are you horny for right now? Thanks for asking, James. Um, <laughs> no problem. Yeah. What have I been horny for? You know what I'm horny for is this episode of Whitney Cummings podcast Hmm. where she interviews Nikki Glaser. Oh my God. I just listened to it. It's so incredible. Yeah. I really like this podcast episode because it's so fucking good. I know for a fact that people who listen to our podcast feel like they're friends with us and care about us. We get the nicest DMs. And that's what happens when you listen to a podcast where people share their lives. And so I feel like I know Whitney and I care about her, even though I don't know her. Um, And something that's interesting about Whitney is I feel like she's developed a lot over the years because my analysis of her, and this is as somebody who's a stranger, not a friend, is that she's been a guy's girl for a long time. And she's been in an extremely male-dominated industry, which is stand-up. And I used to be in stand-up. I found it so unfriendly that I basically quit. And I did not have a camaraderie with women. I did not. And that's not against any woman. There just weren't no, that no. many women around. And I think who knows if I would have stayed if I had a community. And I think Whitney has had to survive by becoming a guy's girl, having tons of guy friends. And I think yes. she ignored this part of herself for a long time of, of being gentle and being with women. And having Nikki on, I can just see that even in Whitney's podcast, if you look at the beginning of her podcast, like the first like 10 episodes are men. And I remember listening to him being like, does she like women? Is Why is there no, and over the years, especially lately, I think even with a Chris Delia, Delia, however you say his name. Delia. I, Delia. I think she's just really realizing how precious her female friendships are. And 
just her being able to become vulnerable with women and start making close female friendships with women. It's like, I don't even know her, but I'm happy for her. I know. I felt the same way. I really appreciate that. That episode, yeah, highly recommend. They are so vulnerable and open. I mean, I thought they took vulnerability to a, a new level, especially because they're friends and they say this in the podcast, they're friends, but they're not close friends. No. And I was just in awe of how deep they went considering that they are not the closest of friends. Like I felt like, it, yeah, I felt like they were like sisters. It was incredible. It's a great so, listen. Yeah. It's a, and it's also a great thing for growth because I've always been very endeared to Whitney since her podcast, not before the podcast, but since the podcast and over the course of listening to it, it's makes me like her more and more. And so yeah. as like a sister or a friend, I'm just happy that she's creating community with women because it's just so important. Yeah. I mean, she's also in a really unique spot because she was sort of like one of the start, one of the few uh, women who sort of rose to being a paid regular at the comedy store here in L.A. And all of the men there, I mean, really one by one are sort of getting canceled because they're sexual predators, predators. Yes. Yeah. And uh, and a lot of them were her friends, close friends. That's so interesting. Um, so it's a really interesting spot. I, I had a big oh, I could talk. This could literally be a fill up a whole separate episode, but. Um, I've always thought the comedy store was like the most toxic place. And I always hated going there. I, everyone was like, it's cause it's haunted. They're like, it's cause it's haunted. I'm like, no, it's haunted by people who are still alive. Like it is so icky. You walk, first of all, you walk, you walk up and they're like, yeah, um, it's uh, $20 or whatever. And you're, and I'm like, no, 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 I I'm performing. And then they're like, oh, <laughs> Okay. And then you like walk in and like then the most like vile shit is being said on stage by someone who is like beyond mediocre. And they're like someone who's there all the time getting paid all the time. And I can like barely like get my foot in the door there. And I'm not a sexual predator and they could use more women. And it's like, no, we're just going to put up like this fucking Disgusting asshole guy. who like yeah. used to be a UFC fighter right. and like right. literally can't spell. But right. like he's got a really good vibe. And so uh, you're Jamie, like, cool, it's put so, him on. I'm so glad you said that because um, my love of stand-up started from the alt scene. It's the first time I saw stand-up that I liked was just wandering into a big, terrific show with Jenny mm -hmm. Slate. And so my love of stand-up was always the weird bar shows in Brooklyn, the smart, funny people, you, Chelsea, all yeah, those. Yeah, big, terrific is also like all friends. Like those three people are like best friends. And they're smart and show. cool. And there's that's a really different vibe than mainstream comedy. So- I only got to know the coolest, smartest, our, our friends, our group type of thing. But someone one time, I've only been in the comedy store once. Oh, this God. handsome guy took me trying to be nice to be like, oh, you like comedy? We saw nine men in a row and it was like trans jokes, women jokes. I was so grossed out and disgusted. Oh my God. By it's the time disgusting. I was just like, I mean, it was a horrible date. I was like, no, why did you horrible. take me here? No, you, if you, yeah. And that's I, how Whitney came up and grew up. I know. And so part of I her know. survival was to think women are kind of lame. And, and I don't blame her for that. It was a absolute survival tactic. Literally, she had to do that because of who she was friends with. And men were dominating the comedy scene. I mean, they still are, but well, I don't even know what a comedy scene even means anymore now that we're in a pandemic, but it was very toxic. It's a very toxic place. And, and she LA standup is to, very toxic. Yeah. Her and Eliza Schlesinger, too. I mean, both of them, like they both, I would say, have a more sort of classically 
masculine energy on stage. And I think their material has evolved a lot because now there's sort of a landscape where you can talk about female issues and not get made fun of. Yes. But I know even when I started, I mean, the types of jokes I told were all survival jokes. I was dirtier than I needed to That's be. So I was Jamie. a liar. I lied. All my jokes were just like Anthony Jesselnik lies. Wow, wow. Because I was like, oh yeah, you can't reveal anything real about yourself. People can't handle it. The people in my community, the men, they can't take it. They won't like me. They'll make fun of me. They'll think I'm so yeah. interesting. So you had Jamie. to be this like beacon of irony to like crack the scene and seem cool. And like, I mean, to this day, even when I go on stage, I don't dress the way I would dress in life ever, yeah, ever, ever. I wear huge hoodies, dumpy jeans, like, like truly like I've like, I don't even know how to spell fashion. I'm just like, wow. what? Like wow. uh, my hair thrown up, looking just looking like complete shit. And it's all just a defense mechanism. Cause you're trying to have like, people oh, take you seriously as a comic. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. You have to like completely desexualize yourself. Like it's, it's wild. Anyways, again, I could fill a whole podcast about this. Um, well, I'm glad we talked yes. about it. Jamie, what horny are you for that episode? Yeah. Horny for this I, week. What am I horny for? I'm horny for. <sighs> I'm horny for um, the the movie When Harry Met Sally. Oh, I oh, just watched so it good. again. Oh. I watch it like once a month, honestly. And in the kitchen just before we recorded this, I was like, I really want to watch When Harry Met Sally. And then I realized I watched it two nights ago. Wait, that's and I'm hilarious. like ready again. I'm like, <laughs> wait, what? Like, how is that possible? I just can't get enough of that movie. I think it it's is the best script just, of all time. and I, it's, it's the best script. I mean, those interstitials with the couples, like so it, it was creative. just transformative. No one did that before so that. Creative. Now it's like, if you noticed in, um, Indian matchmaker, which you turned me on to, they use that hundred percent formula. Yeah. They have the couples like it's, it it's became a, a trope. Homage. Yeah. It, I know. So and influential. it's, yeah. yeah, so influential. And yeah, it's just uh, it's just an amazing script. And what I love is it's like from the 80s, I think, early 90s. Yeah. 90s I, I think 89. 89. Oh, wow. Yeah. God, it's old. And you're just like, oh, he like it's not offensive. Like there's a little bit of like Billy Crystal's like a bit of a creep. Like, you know, he like tries to have sex with her and stuff, but like it's he doesn't make a move, right. but he's just like kind of horny for her yeah. generally. And like thinks it's fine. But the fact that that's the only thing that's a little dated and the whole thing holds up so woman, well, baby. you're just like, fuck. Yeah. It speaks to how much of a genius she is. She's I incredible. mean, there's never been a better so rom-com. Well done. And Oh my God, Meg Ryan is such a, funny actress I just the scene where she's like on the bed and she's like I'm difficult you know and he's like oh no you're whatever he's like you're quirky and she's like I'm too uptight nobody loves me it's like all of her little and then he makes a joke and then she laughs and starts crying it's so funny this will make me I sound old it. I'm 37 I don't think there have been actresses that have lit up the screen like Meg Ryan and Julia Roberts since. I, If I watch movies oh, with them, I'm like, really? the magic that is fucking sizzling off the screen is crazy. Both of them are that is, unbelievable. You are 100% right. Meg Ryan's amazing in that run. When they it's smile, you just die. And, I mean, Meg no, Ryan- No, Meg Ryan is like a, like a, like a classic movie she's star. She's unbelievable. Yeah. And she's so funny. She's like as Billy Crystal so is actually like a comedian, like came from the comedy yeah. world. Like Rob Reiner came from the comedy world. And it's like Meg Ryan was an actress, but like, Blew him away. man, she fucking 
I mean, what that movie would be nothing without her. You're right. She was incredibly good. She's so good at comedy. Yeah, she's a rom-com star. And it's like no shade to the current rom-com stars, but like Anna Kendrick, Kristen Bell, amazing actresses. And I shouldn't be saying it's just I'm just saying when you watch a Meg Ryan movie and I feel the same way about Julia Roberts and, and Pretty Woman, I'm just like, are people this charming? Is is this can anyone be this charming again? Well, um, have well, you ever seen? Oh, sorry. Go ahead, Skyler. Oh no, I was just gonna say. Well, it's also we don't get enough rom coms anymore that are like big that female that led starring I'm working vehicles. on it, guys. I'm working yeah. on there it. There you go. I, it's something that like you just want more of. But the, I it, love rom coms. It's my favorite. It's, they're amazing. I, I mean, when I mean, I'm when in the good, writers' they're room, the best. they're the best. And I, yeah, I, I'm always pitching love triangles. I'm always pitching it's like the best. It's so funny because it's like kind of anti Bechdel test to I be don't like. Care. And then they fall in love. And I'm like, no, I kind of just want it, though. But I know it's wrong, but I love it. Also, at the end of the day, like everyone, men and women are obsessed with romance and love. So that's that. Oh, it's my favorite. Oh, also, I was going to say, Meg Ryan, have you seen French Kiss? Amazing. I have not seen French Oh, my God. I know God. I need to see French. It's another one I need Skyler, to see. Skylar, you I loved just Waitress. Waitress. Waitress is excellent. Skylar watched Waitress. Oh, shit, I got to watch Waitress, too. You have it's to. very, very good. Oh, Rose. I can't wait. I mean, it's just one of the best. I can't wait, Tris. French Kiss is fucking hysterical. Okay, I gotta, I'll, I'll rewatch Klein it. I'll rewatch it. plays a French man. And yeah, and she basically, oh, it's just the, it's so funny. The whole thing takes place in Provence. It's like a dream. I love that. It's movie. great. Oh, I, I'm, I'm going to watch it. You got to watch it. Oh, you love France. You'll Yeah, you'll love it. Yeah, I love, uh, I also just wanted to flag, have you, have either of you seen This Is My Life, which is the first movie that Nora Ephron directed? This Is no. My Life? No. It's, it's Julie Kavner as a stand-up and <gasps> like a single working mother in New York. And it's what? like. It's a lot of fun. Yeah, it's great. It's from 92. It's the first movie it? Nora Ephron directed. Oh, I'll watch it. You can see it on Amazon. It's kind of hard. It's like underseen and like not really talked about anymore, but it's like really charming. Oh, it's I like can't wait. She, you better believe yeah, I'm watching great. that. Great. Okay, James. Just plug in Nora Ephron because she's amazing. I mean, shout out to Nora. Okay. Um, well, that is the end of our show. And thank you guys so much for listening. We love you. Have a great ta-ta. Have a great have just have just have a great. Yeah, have a great. We'll fill in the blank. Okay, bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to Couldn't Help a Wonder. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at chbwpod, and follow my co-host Rose Cerno on Insta and Twitter at Rose Cerno. And please follow my co-host Jamie at Really Jamie Lee on Instagram and at the Jamie Lee on Twitter. And please rate, review, subscribe to our show on iTunes, Stitcher, or your favorite podcast app. If you're nasty, it helps us. It helps you. It helps everyone. You're nasty. Bye. Bye. Forever. This has been a Forever Dog production. Executive produced by Brett Boehm, Joe Cilio, and Alex Ramsey. For more original podcasts, please visit foreverdogpodcast.com and subscribe to our shows on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Keep up with the latest Forever Dog news by following us on Twitter and Instagram at Forever Dog Team and liking our page on Facebook.